Welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. I pray that you will be blessed by our time spent together. And I hope that whatever your circumstances, that uh, even in spite of the current restrictions, that you're still enjoying the beautiful weather outdoors. And uh, it's rained just a little bit today, and so we're hoping and praying for a little bit more rain to come yet. And uh, we know we need that for things to grow, so we're, we're waiting patiently on the Lord uh, to send that. Uh, like to just highlight a couple of things for you. Uh, we are still continuing with drive-in services on Sunday mornings here in the church parking lot, 1030. So if you would like to also join us next Sunday, uh, you can come on down at 1030 here in the church parking lot. I would also remind you that for our tithes and offerings, you can send in a check made payable to the Clarny Mennonite Church by mail. And you can uh, send that to Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0. Or you can stop by and leave your donation in person here. And there's an offering box located in the church foyer. I would now invite you to bow with me and let's unite our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather again once, uh, once again today uh, in common faith and fellowship around your word and in worship to you. And so we pray, Father, uh, that you would be honored and glorified by our time together. We thank you for the rain uh, that you have already sent. And Lord, we of course know that we need more. And so we continue to ask, Lord, that uh, you would send the rain and that uh, through that blessing we would give glory and praise back to you. You're a good father and you've promised that you will uh, provide springtime and harvest until the end, and you have not once failed to keep your word. And so we thank you for that, that we can count upon in these days. Thank you, Lord, that you're undertaking for all of us, uh, regardless of our circumstances. Because, Lord, as we know, we are, we are dealing and continue to deal with many challenging circumstances. And so, Father, we pray for those who are um, directly affected in different ways, uh, Especially we think, Lord, of those struggling financially. Uh, we think of, of those who are, Lord, wondering how, how they're going to make ends meet. Please undertake for them in these days. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would give them hope and hope in you. And we pray that you would undertake. We pray, Father, uh, for those who are struggling with mental health, with depression and anxiety. We ask that you would be near to them. Give them hope, Lord. Give them uh, strength for today. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would lift their spirits even now. We pray, Father, for our seniors in care homes as, again, in their, uh, in their loneliness, in their isolation, be near to them, be a companion, and may they know that you are with them. And, Lord, we continue to pray for the opportunities to come where we can be reunited once more. And, Father, we pray, of course, for... Uh, again, for this phase of restrictions to end as soon as possible, and we ask that until then, give us patience, Lord, and help us to make the most of, of other opportunities we're given in this time as well. And so we, we thank you that you are undertaking. We pray, Lord, for our, continue to pray for our leaders, guide them, Lord, may they seek wisdom as from you. Father, we pray for our ministries. Uh, we think especially of Turtle Mountain Bible Camp as they are preparing and looking ahead to the camping season, and yet they do so with uncertainty, um, not knowing what will be allowed or what restrictions will look like at that time. And so we pray, give them much wisdom, and we pray, Lord, for favorable conditions for ministries to move forward in the months ahead. And so undertake for, for Howard and Kathy, for, for Chelsea and Daniel, and for the board, and for everyone who's a part of that important ministry, Lord. 
And we ask as well that you will continue to send workers who will uh, be cabin leaders and group leaders and those who will share the gospel um, with those who will hear. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, provide for that ministry and for all of the Bible camps, Lord, in our province who are dealing with the same circumstances as well as across our nation. And so we ask, please um, undertake for, for those important ministries, Lord. Father, we pray for this morning as this word goes out. Bless it, Lord, to our hearts. And we pray, Lord, for every pulpit and every preacher who is uh, even today sharing the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it with power and that you would open hearts and minds to receive it. We pray, Lord, that there will be those in these days who will come to saving faith in you as Lord and Savior. And so we pray, Lord, that you will bless your word to that end today. We ask as well that you will bless each gift and each giver as it's given, and we know that you will multiply it for your kingdom. And now I would invite everyone to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And there I'll be reading verses 13 to 17. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, more powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we thank you that it's for us today. So please speak through this, your word, through me, your servant. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we have come to part 24 in our series in Romans, entitled, The Greatest Search and Rescue Mission. On Thursday, August the 5th, 2010, Mario Sepulveda, part of a group of 33 miners, headed underground to begin their shift in the San Jose gold mine, located 45 kilometers north of the city of Copiapo in northern Chile. But though the 33 miners headed into this day expecting it to be just another ordinary workday, it turned out to be anything but. When suddenly and without warning, the earth above them began to rumble and shake as a mass of rock the size of the Empire State Building broke loose and crashed down into a shaft high above them, blocking all access to their area in the mine deep below. The cave-in trapped the 33 men some 700 meters or 2,300 feet underground and some 5 kilometers from the distance from the distant entrance. For those above ground, 
there was every reason to believe that the miners had died in the cave-in and that even if they had somehow survived, they would likely starve to death before they could be found and rescued. The grim reality was that any would-be rescuers would have no idea where the miners were located in the labyrinth of tunnels, ramps, and rooms that spread out deep underground in all directions, like the arteries and veins in a body. However, even with little hope of success, the rescue operators soon began by drilling exploratory boreholes deep underground in the hopes of locating the 33 miners. But 16 days of drilling came and went without any success. And with each passing day, hope continued to fade along with it that the miners would ever be located. Then one day, on day 17, as the drill was brought back to the surface, workers noticed something attached to the end of the drill bit, and they discovered that tied there with a bit of elastic underwear was a hastily written note in red ink, written by Mario Sepulveda, which read, We are well in the refuge, the 33. Well, that simple seven-word message, we are well in the refuge, the 33, it set off a wave of euphoria in Chile and indeed around the world. The Chilean mining accident, as the world came to call it, immediately became the most watched rescue mission in world history as day after day it dominated the news headlines as the world watched intently could these men be rescued meanwhile unaware of all of the world attention focused on them some 2300 feet underground living in the perpetual gloom mario and the 33 miners gathered in the refuge an underground shelter where they lived off a meager ration of one thimbleful of tuna and one sip of rancid milk per man every 48 hours. Little could Mario know at the time the extraordinary chain of events that his seven-word note had set into motion. As a collaborative effort, which included three international drilling rig teams, every ministry of the Chilean government, Engineers and technicians from NASA and more than a dozen multinational corporations began to devise an elaborate rescue plan to get these men out. The final rescue operation took place on October 13, 2010 and required 24 hours to complete as the 33 miners were brought to the surface in a specially designed bullet-shaped capsule equipped with oxygen and medical monitors. The capsule, which was barely larger than a human being, was lowered through a shaft to the miners below, where one at a time each miner stepped into the capsule, stood upright, sunglasses and monitors in place, ready for the 15-minute ride back up to the surface. It is estimated that more than one billion people around the world watched at least a part of this rescue operation as it was broadcast and rebroadcast by all the news agencies around the world. Perhaps the most iconic moment came when at long last, some 55 days since he had written his seven-word note, Mario Sepulveda stepped from the rescue capsule and into the cheering crowd of his rescuers. He then raised his arm in the air and cried out, Viva Chile! 
And incredibly, all 33 miners survived their ordeal. And in the process, they set the world record for the longest underground survival at an astonishing 69 days from the moment of the cave-in. Now, as incredible as this search and rescue mission undeniably was, it even inspired a, a feature blockbuster movie called The 33, which was released in 2015. This rescue operation, as great as it was, is still not the largest, the most difficult, or the most critical search and rescue mission ever conducted. No, the greatest search and rescue mission ever in the history of the world was conducted by the Lord Jesus. He said of himself and his rescue mission, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And who were the lost? Who did he come to seek and to save? Well, the lost was the world and every single person in it, which includes you and I. Trapped under the weight of our sin with no possible way of saving ourselves from the penalty of death and hell. Like those miners trapped deep in that cave, there was no possible way they could save themselves. So too, there is no possible way that we can save ourselves. And so unless the Lord Jesus embarked on his great search and rescue mission, this would still be our fate, trapped, lost, hopeless. But all praise and glory be unto him, that he did not remain in heaven, he did not stay afar off and leave us to our fate, but instead came to earth, becoming one of us to seek and to save that which was lost. And he did so by living the perfect, sinless life as a man. Then dying on the cross in our place as the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty of all sin. Then ra raising from the dead and coming from the grave back to life, never to die again. And then finally with his rescue mission now complete, he ascended back up into heaven to take his place of honor and glory at the right hand of the Father. Now, today is Ascension Sunday. And so today is the day that we remember that Jesus, after having completed it all, 40 days after the resurrection, which was commemorated this past Thursday, we celebrate the reality that he bodily, physically went back up into the clouds. But before he left, he said, in like manner, he would return with the clouds of glory. He's coming back one day to bring final judgment upon the earth's wickedness, but also to gather his bride, the church, both living and dead, past and present unto himself, to enjoy glory with him forever. But though Jesus' earthly phase of this search and rescue mission is complete, and though he's now currently back in heaven, before his return, there is still a present and ongoing search and rescue mission that is not yet finished. And this is the mission that Jesus entrusted to his disciples. In fact, it is the very last command that he gave just prior to his departure into the clouds. We read it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 to 20. There Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, make no mistake about it. This command to make disciples has not expired. It is still active for every follower and disciple of Jesus Christ today. It has not expired. Also, take note that this command was given by the very highest authority in heaven and earth. Jesus said all authority had been given unto him. All authority. So therefore, no lesser authority can nullify or overrule it. So no matter what is currently happening in this world or in our personal lives, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then his command stands over and above anything and everything else. Now, the fact is that our world seems to be lurching from one crisis into the next, into the next, without even taking a breath in between. I remember when I was younger, it seemed like, you know, big events seemed to be paced out a little bit more, like maybe one every few years. Now it just seems like every week there's something new and something new and something new. And there's so many that you can't even keep up with them all, even if you've tried. Right now, we're, we're hearing about wars in the Middle East, in Israel, starting up again. More riots globally, even right here in Canada, in cities, protests taking place all over the place. You can't even keep up with them all. There's, of course, the, the virus and all of the things that we're still dealing with, with COVID, with lockdowns, with restrictions, all sorts of things. Economic hardships. We're hearing reports of droughts in all sorts of places. We're, of course, praying that it will rain here so we don't have a drought. There are still earthquakes, reports of them happening globally. All sorts of economic hardships. Political corruption. We only have to look to our neighbors to the south to see the, the recipe there for all sorts of things that could yet go wrong. Generally, we see moral decline happening locally and around the world. We see Christian persecution. We see general chaos increasing broadly, as far as the eye can see. And so as we think about all of, this, all of these things coming into one big blender of just crisis upon crisis, let's remember what Jesus said. When his disciples asked him about the end of the age, he had given them a number of signs, which included most of the things I've been mentioning. But then he said something interesting. He said, these are the beginning of birth pains, but the end is not yet. The beginning of birth pains. So the fact that the world's birth pains are increasing in frequency and intensity, it shouldn't come as a surprise to the Christian. Jesus forewarned us that all these things must happen. But he also added in Mark 13, verse 7, he said, Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So for the disciple of Jesus, we are still regular humans who we want things to be peaceful. We want things to go well. We don't want all these calamities and crises in our lives. And yet when we see them, Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. And so we must settle our hearts in the fact that he is in control. None of this is coming as a surprise to the Lord. These things must happen, but it's still in his hands and according to his timetable. 
So in short, to borrow the British phrase that was made popular during the London Blitz of World War II as German bombers bombarded their city night after night, keep calm and carry on. Yes, things seem to be going crazy in the world, and yet, as a follower of Christ, keep calm and carry on. Do not be alarmed. Do not be distracted. Stay focused on the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus orders to us, the search and rescue mission given by Jesus himself. Go and make disciples. So the crazier this world becomes, the more urgent our search and rescue mission becomes. Because you see, quite simply, time is ticking away. And eventually, time will run out for this world. For not only does Jesus' return draw nearer with each passing day, but of course, our own death and the death of everyone around us draws closer with every passing day should the Lord tarry. And not a single person, regardless of age or health or status, not a single one of us is promised tomorrow. Not one. And for many people, while salvation remains available and open today, right now, it's open, we know that it might not be available tomorrow as death arrives swiftly and unexpectedly. And no one can say exactly when. For just like those 33 miners, they expected it just to be another ordinary day, and yet something completely unexpected took place They ended up trapped deep underground, and the searchers knew that those men could not survive indefinitely. And so even though the chances of finding them were low, the rescuers set themselves to working diligently, day and night, in the the wild hope that somehow they could find the needle in the haystack, find where they were, and somehow then find a way to bring them back to the surface. And therefore, in the same way, For us as Christians, we're called to be rescuers. And regardless of our world's trials or even our own, this mission of spreading the gospel, making disciples, seeking and saving those which are lost, it must always remain our top priority. And we must treat it with urgency because, yes, time is ticking away and eventually time will run out. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 10 verses 13 to 15, which we read just a bit earlier. And here the Apostle Paul dresses one of the most fundamental aspects of coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and it's, it's really basic and simple. Listen again to the words. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, Paul poses four questions in this statement. Four questions which present a critical link in the chain of God's search and rescue mission to seek and to save those who are lost, those imprisoned and trapped in sin. The first link is this, link number one. How are people going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved if they don't know about him? So it's just a very practical thing. You can't call on Jesus if you don't know Jesus. If you've never heard his name or of him, you can't call on him, even if you wanted to. 
So that's link number one. Link number two is like the first. How do they know what to believe if they haven't heard? Very practical. You can't believe something if you've never heard about it. Link number three. How can they hear unless someone tells them? Okay, again, very practical. You can't hear about something unless someone tells you about it. You you can't learn math or algebra unless you have a teacher to teach you about it. It's just the way life works, and it's the same with the gospel. So that's link number three. How can they hear unless someone tells them? And link number four, how can someone tell someone else about the Lord unless they have been sent? So here Paul is presenting these obvious facts that no one can believe in Jesus if they don't know about him. And they can't know about him if they haven't heard about him, and they can't hear about him unless someone tells them. Now, a practical example of this. I remember once, years ago, I came to town, and I brought my bike along to visit a friend, and we were going to hang out for the evening, and I arrived at his house, and he was holding and sipping on this great big two-liter bottle of Coke. And so I, of course, asked him, where'd you get that big bottle of Coke from? Where'd you get that? And he replied, oh, down at the mall. There was a table there where they were giving them away for free. But it's done now. And at that, my face fell. And then seeing my disappointed reaction, he asked me, well, didn't anyone tell you? And that was the problem. No one had. No one had told me that there was going to be a promotional table at the mall giving away free two-liter bottles of Coke. And while being, I don't know what I was, 12 or 13-year-old boy, a Mennonite boy at that, the the prospect of missing out on a free two-liter of Coke was pretty gut-wrenching, right? You know, it's very disappointing. You miss out on something like that. Now, simple, right? I couldn't go and get the free bottle unless someone told me that it was going to be happening. Now, of course, missing out on a free bottle of Coke is not actually a big deal. But now listen, my friends. Missing out on Jesus is a big deal. For there is simply no salvation. There is no eternal life apart from him. And so while I could casually shrug off someone not telling me about free Coke available... It's not quite so easy to shrug off if someone knows about Jesus but doesn't tell someone who doesn't. So now let me ask you another question. What is 750,000 miles long? It could wrap itself around the earth 30 times and it continues to grow an additional 20 miles longer with each passing day. What is it? Well, the answer is It is the total line of people on earth who do not yet know Jesus as personal Savior and Lord. And the line keeps getting longer every day. Now, while yes, there are many people, right now today there are many people who have been told about Jesus, they've heard about him, and they still choose not to believe in him. But at least they were given the opportunity. For how many people will never have that opportunity given to them to believe in Jesus simply because no one ever told them? Now, I know that right here in Canada, we often assume that most everyone has heard about Jesus and the good news of the gospel, 
And so we really don't have that much work to do locally and we can just kind of focus on overseas missions. I used to think that way, but in, in my life in ministry over the past, you know, uh, getting close to two decades now between camp and, and pastoring, what I've discovered working principally here in Canada is that that is a false assumption. In fact, it's a dangerous assumption. Because the reality is that right here in Canada, there are far more people than we realize who have very little knowledge of Jesus. Yes, they might know his name, they might have heard of him, but they have very little knowledge of him or especially of the true gospel message. I've shared with you once before how I've actually come across youth at Bible camp and locally who have wondered why the Lord Jesus was named after a swear word. Because that was their only exposure to his name was when it was used as profanity. It was the only time they'd heard his name. It was used as a swear. Right here in Canada. So never assume that just because we live in Canada that everyone knows about the Lord or about the gospel. Now further still, Never assume that simply because someone went to church or Sunday school as a child, but has since grown up as an adult and and isn't uh, following the Lord, don't assume that just because they grew up in the environment of the faith or the church, that that they know what the gospel is. Now, it could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was just poor teaching, or maybe they just weren't paying attention, or some combination thereof. But whatever the case, there are many people who, yes, have some church background, but yet don't understand the true gospel of Jesus Christ or its power to change them. And so for these people, if we write them off and say, well, you've heard it, so I'm not going to waste my time trying to explain it to you, that's maybe exactly what they need is someone to genuinely walk them through what is the gospel? What is the heart of it? What does it mean to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Apart from works, it is a gift of God. Maybe someone needs to have that explained to them in a sincere way. Maybe it's a friend who you can talk to and explain what the gospel is really all about. Never assume that they know it just because you think they've heard it before. Today could be the day where you can explain it and they actually get it and respond. And so this is where we come in. For in the second half of verse 15, Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. Verse 15, he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. Now, earlier I talked about all the bad news in our world. It seems like we're bombarded with bad news daily. It's really why news organizations exist, right? If it bleeds, it leads. They bombard us with the bad news constantly. Death counts infection rates, wars, all the bad things that can happen, we get hit with it daily. So how beautiful are the feet of those who bring not bad news, but good news. Good news. And it's been said that good news is for sharing. But how often don't we do the opposite? We seem to share the bad news, but the good news gets tucked away in a corner and rarely spoken of. Good news is for sharing. And it is our Lord's desire, it is his design and command that we, his disciples, will be the ones with those beautiful feet. Those who share the good news of Jesus Christ, both near and far, with those right at home, under our own roof, as well as with those in distant lands. 
with whatever gifts and means and abilities that God has given us, we leverage those towards this mission. And that according to God's will, as we do so, many will hear the truth, many will believe, call upon the name of the Lord, and so be saved. But now right here is where so many of us get stuck. And I know I've been stuck here many times myself. We get stuck right here. We know we should, we know we can, but something inside of us says, but not me. I can't do it. One of England's great preachers, W.E. Sangster, once said this. He said that the easiest way to embarrass a congregation of 20th century Christians is to ask them two simple questions. When is the last time you personally led another person to Jesus Christ? And the second question is, when is the last time you tried? You see, it's not always about the numbers. It's not about how many. It's about our heart and our willingness to try, our willingness to bring the good news. You see, when it comes to the good news about Jesus, not all of us will be called to be pastors, but all of us are called to preach. No, I don't mean from a pulpit like this one. Because how Paul is actually using the word preach in this passage, in in the original Greek context and the word that he uses there, the definition is to tell or share, often encouraging um, with urgency to accept the message. So tell or share, often with a sense of urgency that this is an important message to believe, to accept. It's it's not about the pulpit. It's not about the setting. You can preach in a one-on-one conversation the way that Paul is using the word. You see, there is no pulpit or sermon outline required in order to share the good news. All that is required is that first we have been called by Jesus, and that second we have been sent by Jesus. And both of those things have already happened. You don't have to say, well, I've never been called to share the gospel. He never sent me out. Have you read your Bible? Yes, he called you. Yes, he's sent you. It's already done. You are called. You are sent. And you see, the calling is not so much an occupation that, oh, I have to be a a pastor like Danny. No, it's not so much an occupation as a way of life. I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ as a way of living. Jesus' life is my life. Jesus' words are my words. His attitude is my attitude, and we live out this calling. And the sending part, we get so stuck on the location of the sending sometimes, but it's not so much about specific locations as it is a willingness to bring the good news wherever we happen to be, wherever we happen to live, wherever we happen to go. That is the sending. You see, while some in that sending process, yes, some will have formal titles like missionary or evangelist or pastor. There are many more in that sending process who will have titles like mom or dad, brother or sister, neighbor or volunteer, farmer or contractor, businessman or healthcare worker, truck driver or store clerk, stay-at-home mom or little league coach. There's all sorts of titles that will be used in this sending process. But it's as we go, wherever we are, we have been sent because we bear the name of Jesus 
we have this mission, and we have this assignment. So the list of titles is nearly endless, but the mission, the primary one, is the same. Whether, whether you're in my position or in whatever position you find yourself today, the mission is the same. Find ways through our actions, through our works, through our words, through our activities, to share the good news, wherever and however and with whomever we can, as often as we can. Because though not everyone will listen, no, not everyone will respond in faith and believe, some will. Some will. It's like the sower and the seed. Not all of it finds good soil, but some will. And the only guarantee that none will ever find good soil is if the sower never scatters the seed. The only guarantee that no one will ever believe is if you never open your mouth, if you never share the gospel. It's the only way to guarantee that no one will ever call on Jesus and be saved. But my friends, if we do open our mouths, if we do scatter the seed, some will believe. Some will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So that's our job. We have to open our mouths. We have to share the word. Now remember, whether or not someone believes is not up to you. So just take that pressure off yourself right now. Your job in the search and rescue mission is not to save anyone, but to simply share the good news. The power to save is with the Lord. The power to save is in his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 17, Paul highlights that and he states, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now notice here, he's not putting any pressure on the mouthpiece whatsoever. He doesn't say, consequently, faith comes from hearing the dynamic preacher. That's not what he says. He says, faith comes from hearing the message. The mouthpiece is almost irrelevant. And then he says, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You see, it's his words. And so long as it's his words in our heart, his words coming out of our, out of our mouths and, and, and from our lips, that is where the power is. It's not in us. It's in his word and by the spirit. And so in this, take the pressure off yourself. You don't have to save anyone. Simply pray and trust that in your efforts, as feeble and as, as small as they might seem to you, trust that the power of the word, by the Spirit of God, the power of the word can and will work through you to have an impact on others. Floyd Schneider, in his book, Evangelism for the Faint-Hearted, he wrote about a college student who was a Christian and how he was assigned to share a room with a Muslim student. And, and as he, of course, with two very different backgrounds, two very different faiths, he a Christian, his, his roommate a Muslim, over time they got to know each other and soon they became friends. And over time their conversations eventually turned, of course, to their beliefs. And at first the Christian student was very intimidated and nervous about sharing anything about his Christian faith with the Muslim student. But finally... Uh, in, in the course of their conversations, he asked the Muslim student if he'd ever read the Bible. And well, the reply was that he had not. He'd never once read even a portion of the Bible. And so, he finally just mustered up the courage to ask him, Well, would you be interested in reading the Bible if I, in turn, would read your Quran? 
And he thought this was a fair exchange. Neither of them had read each other's holy books. And so they decided that each would read the other's book. And in the process, they would have conversation about what they were reading. And so they began to do this. And some weeks passed by as they both continued to read each other's holy books. And so during this process, their friendship deepened. Along with their discussions centering around who Jesus really was. And finally, during the second term, some months into this process of reading each other's holy books, the Muslim student finally became persuaded that Jesus was not just a prophet, but that he was the Son of God. And he finally made the decision to put his faith in Christ, to be his Savior. Sometime later, in the term, one evening, the now Christian student formerly Muslim, he bursts into the room and shouted at the longtime Christian, you deceived me. You deceived me. What are you talking about? The, the Christian student asked defensively. Well, the new Christian opened the Bible and he pointed to it and said angrily, well, I've been reading through it just like you told me. And I just read here in Hebrews that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And then he dropped the anger, a big smile came across his face, and he said, So you knew all along that the Bible contained God's power, and that the Quran is just like any other book. I never had a chance. You deceived me. You see, that, my friends, is the power of God's word and the message of the gospel. It is living and active. And so we trust in the power of God's word, not in our own abilities. We are but humble messengers. We are mouthpieces. But the power is in the gospel, in the word of Christ. And so may we each trust that as we share, as we have been called and as we are sent, may we trust that God's power is in his word. And as he has said, it will not return to him void, but it will accomplish that for which purpose it was sent. And so may we each resolve to do our part in this greatest rescue mission of all time. May we share the good news with this world that is so desperately in need of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called each one of us and that you have sent us out in your authority, under your authority and in your power to bring this good news to the world. And Lord, that world might include people right under our own roof. It might include our kids. It might include our spouses, family members, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunts. It could, it could include a next-door neighbor, a co-worker, someone we see day to day. But Lord, whoever it is, whether it's near or for some of us it could be far, some you may be calling, Lord, to distant mission fields. Some, Lord, you are calling to the mission field of camp ministry this summer. Father, wherever it is, thank you that it's not up to us, it's up to you. All you ask is that we will be faithful to do the part for which you have called us. That we will spread the word, we will share the good news with whoever will listen, trusting that you will be at work in those words, and that, Lord, whether they believe or whether they choose to reject it, that they will have been given the opportunity to respond. 
And so, Father, we pray that even as this message goes forward today, please anoint it for those who would hear, Lord, and respond in faith, that you would bless them. And Father, for each one of us who knows that right now you're calling us to a, a greater uh, a greater effort, Father, to bring this word to those around us. Give us courage in these days. Give us boldness. And Father, we pray that you would bless the word as it goes out from our lips to the world around us, that others could come to know you as personal Savior and Lord. For this is your will. We agree with it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his smiling face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. May God bless you and have a very good week.